You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered. Three of my favorites. It's the HUD man, Rex Hudler, from the Kansas City Royals. The former Cal Bear and now Houston Astros broadcaster and World Series hero, Jeff Blum. And one of the great voices in the game, Lynn Casper from the Chicago White Sox. But whenever you have Rex Hudler on, the Hudman gets you, he just gets you fired up for baseball. Hudman, it's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? Oh, what a question, sir. I'm sitting here at the ballpark watching your team take the field, take a little batting practice. I got to see my old roommate, Mike Aldretti, the doughboy, and Kotze, <laughs> my buddies. Man, are you kidding? I'm just kind of letting my blood pressure come down as we speak. No one fires me up for baseball more than you do. You are the best, my friend. Oh, let's just turn it on. Let's give it up to the people. You know, when I think about Kansas City baseball and Salvador Perez, uh, what a year. This is literally, you think about George Brett. You think about Bo Jackson, you think about Steve Balboni, you think about guys that have monster years in the history of Kansas City. This is truly one of the greatest years. And I, and I know he's not going to win MVP, but, man, I don't, we'll give Joey Otani all the love. But Salvi Perez is having one of the best years, I think, as you has ever seen being in this game a long time. Oh, you know, just the wear and tear, too. Watching Salvi every night take the foul tips, you know, like those guys do. It's amazing that he just shakes it off so quickly and ho-hum, goes on to the next pitch. You know, I tell you, being the designated hitter this year has been big for him. Mike Matheny, former catcher, had multiple concussions in his career, uh, knows exactly what Salvi's going through. And so in order to protect him and keep him fresh, he's been able to DH him, and Salvi's okay with that. Salvador Perez? has the passion of a young child playing the grand game. And so he would play every game if they'd let him. But you got to just, you know, he's got to just take half a day off. That's helped him a lot. But he's had, he's blocked more balls in the dirt than any other catcher. It's because the first half of the season, we had pitchers that were clueless. They were bouncing balls all over the place. We led the league in walks, but now it's changed a little bit. Salvador Perez is coming into his own, and the fans that come to Coppin Stadium here are coming to watch Salvi hit homers. Yeah, I'm thinking about when you're chasing Johnny Bench's records, that's a huge deal. Yeah, it is. And he knows all those things, too. Um, He's very aware of the history, which is great to hear. A lot of the modern-day young players, you know, some of them, you you bring up a name around them, you know, a famous name, and they'll be, oh, I don't know him. So, but Salvador (laughs) Perez, he knows all of those. And I remember one time when I I introduced him to Rick Dempsey, my buddy and former teammate with the the Orioles, and I said – Salvi, this guy caught 23 seasons in the big leagues, and Salvi just freaked out. And he almost, you know, wanted to shine his shoes for him. He wanted to, he wanted to hug him, and you know, he he just it, it, he was in awe of that type of grind. So he's in for it, man. He's in to win. He's pumped. The biggest thing he has now is just a little bit over anxious, and he's chasing some. 
You know, we wait not too long ago we had Rick on the program, and obviously one of the great catchers and broadcasters of his time. And you know, we we were laughing, you know, before we called you, talking about how there there there's been this narrative that oh my God, some of these guys are tired. And I'm like, Tom Brady's 44 years old playing in the NFL. I'm like, the HUD man. Would you be tired in a pennant race? I can't even imagine you you coming to the ballpark saying I was tired. Oh, absolutely not. I would tell the guys, fellas, look, you got the whole winter to sleep. Shake yourself. We're going to do something tonight that, that somebody's never seen before. And and there's going to be a fan that comes to this game tonight that's never watched you play before. What kind of what, what what's the impression you're going to leave that that young kid? And that young kid, if you hustle and play hard he might go to the playground and say your name and be you. So there's so many other things that are attached to it. And once, once you start figuring that out as a player and, and you know, the, the game has healing powers as you take batting practices, there's no one in the stands and that ache and pain that you woke up with saying, I don't know if I can go today. It quickly is erased as the grand game has super healing powers. Believe that. What was it like when you first came up and you're a New York Yankee, obviously, you're a kid from the Central Valley. You're from California. But now you're on the biggest stage that there is in sports. Well, they, I, had to get, I had to get through all of these surfer jokes. Because, you know, if you're from California and you're in New York City, you're stereotyped as having a surfboard. So I went ahead and just rolled with it. And I just say, hey, look, just stay on the board, man. Just stay on the board. And it was not easy. I'd walk into the ballpark, and, of course, Willie Randolph, the great Yankee captain, was ahead of me. And so I'd walk into the ballpark, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was 200 people out in front of the stadium. And so I'd walk in, and fans would be going, yo, Hudler, you'll never take Randolph's job. You're a bum. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. Hey, fans, take a time out. I'm on Willie's team, and I'm supporting Willie, and I'm backing him up. I don't want his job. I never would say that, of course. I was too scared to death. But, man, I couldn't believe the passion with the people. And then they gave me number 56. And at that particular time was when Lawrence Taylor was a god for the Giants. And so I would run on the field and the, the fans would go, yo, LT, LT. And I, I'd wave like I was Lawrence Taylor. Man, I, I absolutely ate it up. But, but to tell you, the one, the, the, one of the biggest impressions, my first day in the big leagues, Joe Cowley and I went, went uh, driving in the city and, and I, got out of my, I got out of his car and I got up on the curb and I looked in the window at some restaurant and the guy was staring at me and he was saying my name. He knew my name and I'm going, oh my gosh, here we are. Some random just pulls up in front of somebody and this guy knows who I am. I mean, it just, it freaked me out. Yeah. You think about it. You grew up like three hours from the ocean. Yeah. Fresno right in the middle. You know, you could, you could uh, live in Fresno. You can, uh, you can surf on one day and ski in the same day, man, too. You know, so, and I've done that before, but, uh, you know, central San Joaquin Valley, beautiful place. Loved Oakland, Alameda County Coliseum. You know, coming there to the day on the green, Peter Frampton, Carlos uh, Santana, uh, Leonard Skinner. I mean, that's how I was raised. And we would come up three hours to the Bay Area and sit there and get baked in the sun and watch that. And I was a young teenager, man. Just really loved that Coliseum. Every time I'm in it, I tremble when I get in the ballpark. I love it. I hope, I hope they keep it there forever. You know, Bob Melvin has that poster in his office, Day on the Green. You guys are about the same age. I don't know how well you know Bob Melvin, but you two big leaguers were probably at the same concert at the same time as kids. Oh, probably were. And you know what? So then we came up against each other in A-ball. He played in Alabama. 
And I, and I remember I, how I knew him was that he had a red Porsche, one of those new Porsches that were out. Um, and, and, and it was a new Porsche, and it was parked underneath the bleachers, uh, you know, in its own little parking place. And so I had to find out who that was, and it was Bo Mills, and I asked him about that all the time, and he laughed about that Porsche. But, you know, I'm really proud of him. Um, he was a good catcher. You know, he had a nice major league career, but, man, his managerial skills are through the roof. And watching these guys the first day, I'll get a chance to go down and see him tomorrow, but I really do appreciate how these guys have evolved in their careers. You know, Aldo and, and Kotze, now they were on one side of the ball. Now they're on the teaching side and the mentoring side. And to me, that's a plus for the future major leaguers that are on Oakland A's team. You know, you think about, like, you, you know, talk about these guys, especially Bob Melvin, where, where you watch their – careers evolve and not everybody's a star player not everybody's going to be a hall of famer but just talk about when you watch guys in their careers as they go from players to coaches to managers just how special that is to watch guys be so successful yeah you know there's that's a huge reward too and you know even being a broadcaster going down and introducing myself to some of our new players you know, I'm not afraid to say, hey, look, I played 10 years in the minors and 10 years in the majors. And I just want you to know that I'm not just some some voice up there talking, talking out my backside. This is this is uh, something that's passionate to me. And I got my time in. Now, my job as a broadcaster is to, is to enhance your look, how you are, say good things about you so you can get your 10 years in. It's all about you now, young man. So go ahead and get it and attack it. You know, when I think about your career, I mean, watching you play was every day you brought it. It didn't matter what the score was. It didn't matter what the standings were. Just talk about how you played and how someone, you know, a young kid could learn from someone like you to be able to stay in the big leagues as long as you were. Let me tell you, I was blessed to come from one of the greatest high school baseball coaches to ever coach in the Central San Joaquin Valley. Mike Noakes, former Golden Bear himself uh, as a player. And he went on and became a great amateur coach. I had him as, uh, all, all four years through high school, and he taught me the fundamentals like no one else could. And he taught me one thing. Son, you need to, you need to pretend like, that, like you haven't eaten in a week in first base. And there's a big lunch bucket for you at first. And you go down there and hustle and go get that. You play the game the way that it's supposed to be played, and you'll never have anybody doubt your ability at all. So I learned how to hustle and play hard and, and give the credit to the people, especially the paying fans. Once I turned pro, man, I would get so excited when there would be a, a 200 people, but then let alone 56,000 in Yankee Stadium. Uh, I couldn't help it. I, I remember making an out in Yankee Stadium, and I ran down the line, and, and, and I come back into the dugout there on the first base side in old Yankee Stadium, and the crowd was cheering. And I got in the dugout and I said, what are they cheering for? I made it out. They said they, they don't see people hustle like that. And so I just really was addicted to hustling and playing hard and uh, priding myself on a pop-up to be at second base when that, when that ball was caught. And, you know, I learned that you can control two things as a ball player, your attitude and your output. Those are the only two things you can control. And if you have any ability at all, you might can, you control those two. You got a pretty good chance. I'm so grateful that I was able to play for the teams I played for, and they they were able to stomach me. And and I just really am a, I'm a blessing, or I'm, I'm excuse me, I'm a byproduct of a great sport that was taught well. I was taught well by some of the coaches that I had. You know, it's been a while since we've been able to travel, but uh, I've been very fortunate over my career 
working for the A's, working for the Raiders, coming to Kansas City. And it's always been hilarious how snobby people are in Kansas City about barbecue. Because like every place you go to, you go, this is one of the best meals I've ever had. Uh, As a guy from California and a guy who's traveled a lot throughout the country, uh, Kansas City barbecue, there's no better place. Top shelf. No doubt about it. Just had some friends come in from Orange County to to, to uh, go to the Chiefs game with me this past weekend when we when we uh, humbled uh, uh, the Browns, and they were blown away by how tender the meat was, the, the the taste of the barbecue, and they were wanting to eat sushi. And I said, "Man, are you kidding me? Where you're from in California, you you get your you get your sushi. You're here. We're eating barbecue. Q39 is one of my favorites. I'll do Jack Stack. I'll do any of them. Are you kidding?" They all compete with each other, but really we're one big friendly town and we can't wait to be building a championship a baseball team again and let the people and the passion show the love for the game here in Kansas City. we got a starting rotation that's coming. They're all 25 years and younger and they're all in place now. We, they're, they're taking their lumps right now, but another year or so, watch out. The Royals will be prominent again. I'm glad you bring up Jack Stass because with the Raiders, we would always stay across the street and on the other on the other side was the World War One museum and when we go to jack sack people go like jack sack i'm like that's one of the best meals i've ever had in my life it was like amazing how people they they were like well if you don't go to gates and you go to kansas city joe's you're like what jack sack like everybody like every place you go is the best barbecue you've ever had yeah so you can't lose and the matter of fact man i'm just getting so excited talking ball talking about kansas city with you here and and looking forward to the future. Okay, hey, watch for our middle infield core, man. With with, with uh, Merrifield and Nicky Lopez, and they lead the league in double plays. Sir, and they've been a lot of fun. Michael A. Taylor leads the, the all center fielders in baseball with defensive runs saved and outfield assists. So we got some pretty good uh, players here, and we can't wait till Bobby Witt Jr. shows up to enhance our uh, our offensive production side. Got some good pieces in the bullpen coming. We have a great manager in Mike Matheny, who's been there and done it with the Cardinals. Uh, very motivating, very passionate uh, man of integrity. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun here. As a matter of fact, today the news came out that Dayton Moore's position, uh, our GM, is taking a higher position in the organization and, and promoting J.J. Piccolo, who was underneath him for the last uh, 15, 20 years. So our team really got even stronger today. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I know you got to go, but Dayton Moore, you know, when you look at like Billy Bean and you look at Cashman in New York, I mean, Dayton Moore, you know, sometimes you got to do more with less. And I have a lot of respect for him. Just talk about him on your way out here. What a special executive as a World Series champion. And I've said it before, if it wasn't for Madison Bumgarner, this guy might have two World Series rings with the, with, with the uh, Kansas City Royals. Oh, you got that right. That was an unbelievable feat by Bumgarner. But, you know, Dayton Moore, I know him. When I got here 10 years ago as a broadcaster, uh, they were desperate, obviously, but they hired me. And, and man, uh, my son was was on his his son's team, and he was the coach of the team. So I got to know Dayton Moore right away uh, as a coach, as a person, you know, and how much fun and how much he loves baseball. He has a passion for the game. He's been in every position you can be in in the front office. He started out with John Scherholz in, uh, in uh, Atlanta. But, you know, he's built a wonderful uh, a tradition here. He's built a good program with some quality people working by him since 06 he's been here. And, you know, you're right. You got to build when you don't have a major money here. You got to build from within. And he's done it once and he's about ready to do it again. We're going to see another championship product here in a couple of years. But he has integrity. 
I played for so many different organizations in, in three different countries and for different people. And they would always say, hey, how's the family? But they didn't really mean it. They more the first time you see him and you haven't seen him in a while, he's going to say, oh, how's, how's the kids doing? How's everybody? He cares about family. He's a family man first. He understands the business takes you away from it. But man, when he when he talks, you listen. Why? Because of the integrity. He's a genuine human being. He's not going to pull your leg on anything. He's always honest. Doing radio interviews with him, my partner, Ryan Lefevre, does every day. He always tells me. I said, how would your meeting go with Dayton? He goes, Hud, he's, he's so transparent. He tells me everything. Anything I ask him, he shares. So you can't beat that type of transparency in a, in a game like this, in, in a business like baseball. When you treat people right, guess what? They respond, and we're going to win again here with him. You know what? I, I, I'm just thinking about how old we're getting. All those years I had you on when you were with the Angels, you've now been with the Royals for 10 years? Can you believe that? Hey, the blessings, the blessings all to me and my family. I've raised them in the high school, high school here. My daughter went to KU and I get to work with a partner, Ryan Lefevre and Steve Fiziok and talk baseball with these guys nightly. It's so much fun. Yeah. Fizz is out here too. He came with me and uh, we're just really enjoying baseball and it's coming, man. I'm telling you the excitement that was here in 14 and 15 was off the charts and just, you know, didn't have to do much, much color commentating. I just pull back and rein in and, and just let the people watch the product, man. So we're getting to that stage again. But we're real excited to talk to you, bud. I really appreciate you uh, Let me uh, share with your audience today. Well, I, I got to tell you, I miss having you in division because uh, all those years you've been so good to us here with the Oakland A's and being a guy who who's from California, uh, you understand the A's, you understand Northern California. We've always appreciated your, appreciate your time. I wish we could have you more and we had with more games like back when you were at the Angels, but no matter what, we're always, you know, Steve Fiziak has come on, the Fizz has come on for years. We root for you guys. There's no question about that. Thank you, brother. Hey, we'll look forward to seeing you out there again. Just make sure you holler at me. Don't forget me. Take care, Hud, man. All right, see you, bud. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I loved him as a player. I love him as a broadcaster. Uh, The energy is, uh, it's electric. You know, probably as a broadcaster that's not an A's broadcaster, no one's been on A's Cast Live more than Jeff Blum. I've known Blummer for years. He is such a cool dude. A former Cal Bear, very proud of his Bears, uh, a World Series hero with the White Sox, and now a TV broadcaster for the Houston Astros. Here is Jeff Blum. Blummer, how are you? I'm good, Tony. How's it going? Well, you know, I was just talking about, you know, you know, we're now into off-season mode, obviously, being eliminated. And we were just talking about, you know, the CBA and what our off-season is going to look like. And I'm just hoping cooler heads prevail and we realize this isn't the eighties. There's more money out there now than ever before. Everybody's making a ton of money, figure it out because work stoppage is no bueno. And it's bad for the game. No, it's 100% bad for the game. I'm with you on that. And I hope that, you know, there are cooler heads out there because 
ultimately with all of the quirks and rules that Rob Manfred wants to throw in here and try and trick the game, uh, really are meaningless when it gets down to it because the players go out and play the game. They brought a, a very good product to the table, and I think that everybody is realizing that. And after the pandemic of 2020 and realizing how how not playing the game hurts baseball, how not having fans in the seats hurts baseball, how not having it on TV hurts baseball, I think that that, you know, that might be hopefully a really uh, a fresh thought in their mind to go ahead and get past some of these issues or work extremely hard to iron out the issues and find that common ground, man. Because I'm with you. Uh, life without baseball is going to be incredibly painful if we only get one full season after that pandemic in before they start bitching and moaning again. Yeah, because, you know, we said this with David Force the other day. Like, we're lucky we got this season in. We're lucky we got 162 <laughs> in, right? No, you're exactly right. Yeah, you got to be grateful for what you've got, and they've got a great product. But the fact that they even got 162 games in uh, is a pretty powerful statement in the ability to actually come together and make something good happen. And how about Dusty Baker leading a fifth franchise to the postseason? That, that's just – I saw that today. I'm like, that's truly incredible. With, with You think of the firestorm that was going on with the Astros. Dusty steps in. And he's he's a he's a cooling influence on everything. Just talk about what it's been like to be around him. Yeah, I think what you know, you said cooling influence, but how about the the fact that you know everything that Dusty brings to the table is, you know, he's got an incredible legacy, and it's not just all you know as a manager. It's on the field. It's it's what he experienced as being an African American man in America, rolling through uh, all the situations that he's had. So I think it's kind of the combination of the person the player, the manager, and he's kind of been that patriarchal figure. And I think he's been a he's been a worthwhile distraction because he brings so much respect with him. So when you do have some of these media markets roll through and they, they want to ask the questions about the scandal and they want to ask this, you know, about that, and Dusty says, look, man, I'm here for baseball. I'm not here for any of that. If you've got another question, go ahead and ask it. But he doesn't put up with any of that stuff. And I think that, you know, that respect that he brought with it, and he kind of nipped all that in the bud has allowed the Astros to actually focus on the game of baseball and probably why they are playing as well as they are this late in the season. What do you think his future is with the organization? I, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough to, to tell, but considering how close he is to win number 2000, considering that he did, you know, get him all, you know, one game away from the World Series in 2020 and he regained the American League West division title, I think you have to put him in consideration or almost the expectation of being a manager of the Houston Astros next year just because of what he's done for the franchise and what he's been able to do for him uh, and his own you know, personal legacy. And you know, if you want to have him have his pictures taken in that 2000th uh, win, it's good. maybe you want it in that Astro uniform. You know, we think how inconsistent teams have been this year. It's been wild. And, of course, the A's, yeah. you know, the A's could win 13, then lose seven. I mean, how much have you seen that with Houston? Oh, that's one of the more mind-boggling things. It's probably one of the – it puts me in, as a color analyst in probably one of the tougher spots is when we do see the Astros go on a, you know, a seven-game run where they're scoring, averaging seven or eight runs a game. They have a 15-hit game, you know, on back-to-back nights, and all of a sudden they come home and get swept at home by the Baltimore Orioles. What am I? How am I supposed to explain that? You know, I, I keep going back to that old, you know, worn-out, you know, uh, cliche of, 
hey, any given Sunday, you know, that's why you play the game. But how do you explain the Baltimore Orioles of all teams taking two out of three from the Boston Red Sox in a pennant chase? I don't, I don't know how to explain these things. It's just that it, maybe it's the combination of there's really good quality talent out there, but at the same time, you know, maybe there's teams that are just exhausted and expect to win and they, they get blown out. I don't know. It's, it's been wild. You're right. It has been a very streaky season. How much do you think last year affected this year? I think quite a bit, actually. I think it's kind of interesting, and I was actually kind of shocked. I'm impressed with, you know, we did have a string of injuries. Some big names went out there and and got hurt. But I think that teams did a very good job of managing and getting through the season with the guys they have. Um, I think, you know, our, my buddy TK, who does the play-by-play for us, brought up an interesting stat that, you know, there might be 15 to 20 guys that qualify for a Cy Young or qualify as far as innings pitched with 160, what is it, 162 uh, innings and a third or something like that. So I'm curious to see how that translates next year because we are one year removed from the pandemic. So you expected some of the innings pitched to be suppressed. If that happens again next year, you may have to start to, you know, alter some of the uh, qualifications for Cy Young and stuff like that. It's almost like, in some ways, we're running out of arms. If guy, if you're not going to get, yeah, it, you're not going to get innings from your starters, and you got to cover all these innings with your bullpen, it's like we don't have enough guys. I, I completely agree with that. It would be interesting moving forward because I, watching what you've seen in Oakland, watching what I've seen in Houston, and realizing how many roster changes there have been, how many pitchers have actually been used. And even and it's not the, the teams that are struggling. It's also the contending teams that have had to go through those string of arms to try and keep their bullpen afloat, to cover the outs and the innings that you're talking about. And, you know, I wonder if in the future that they actually have those taxi squads where you just travel with two or three pitchers and an extra catcher just in case you get in those situations where you had to use too many arms and you've got to rotate a fresh arm in there, man. It's really interesting to think about. Yeah, and if we're going to go back to regular extra inning games again where you could be playing 12, oh, 13, 14, I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I agree on that. I think that, you know, they will adjust that extra inning rule, maybe give it, you know, one legit, give that 10th inning a legitimate extra inning before they put that runner out there. But I agree with you. If you start to go into those situations where, where you have the potential to go 16, 17, 18 innings, oh, man, some of these arms are going to start falling off, man. And, you know, I, th- I think about your shortstop, what a great talent he is, but you got a lot of money on the books with other guys. What do you think Correa's future is with Houston? Uh, you know, it, it depends on what day you ask, because there's uh, we're closer to 50-50 right now, I think, as opposed to maybe earlier in the season where you would have said it was 60-70-30, uh, whether or not he was going to come back and leaning towards not coming back just because of the contract offer, uh, the way some of the negotiations went in spring training. And then you add in the fact that he's putting up career career year type numbers and he's playing 150 games. So that kind of puts him in that upper echelon, that elite status of potentially making 30 plus million dollars a year. Now, is he going to get to that 10 year threshold? I think that's what he wants. Uh, I'm not sure if he's able to get that. But if you start to take years off that contract, you have to start putting more millions into that annual uh, uh, value of that contract. So you start to push the 30 to $35 million a year for a guy over seven years. 
you know, and I think that's where you might create an opportunity for him to stay here in Houston. Uh, but, it, it, you know, a lot of that is to be determined because he's put himself in a very good spot, even with the CBA coming up. I think Carlos Correa somehow, some way is definitely going to get the money that he wants. I can't even imagine signing a 10-year contract. Well, what's the longest contract you signed? Two years. I played 14 years, and I had 12 one-year contracts. Wow. I just yeah, can't imagine cool, having, <laughs> I just can't imagine having like a 10, 12 year contract. I mean, so many different things happen in a person's life in that span. It's a decade yeah. or more. And and to to think about a guy is gonna give you that great season every year for a decade. It's just so hard to believe. It is hard to believe. And you, you know, you cover a team that uh, handles analytics and so do I. So we have a we have a better understanding than maybe most people around the league and what that 10 years actually translates to because Carlos Correa is in a unique position because he's going to be 27, I think, either just turned 27. So he's going to be 37 at the end of a 10-year deal. So that actually, it's, it, it's somewhat encouraging, but you and I both know that once guys get to that 32 age, that's when those regression, the, the analytic of regression starts to come in. And are you really getting that return on investment when you have a guy for a 10-year period? And I'm not sure if that if that's how teams are going to look at it. And then we have the, the Albert Pujols' contract, the Robinson Cano's, and some of these other contracts of the past that were 10 years. And even looking at Francisco Lindor's, he's not going to produce for all of those 10 years. You're basically getting a six- to seven-year window where you may get to some of those, those career-year-type numbers but then you're going to be paying the back end of that contract, and it's going to be a boatload of money, carry a lot of weight, and uh, probably not get the production you feel that is worthy of what you're paying. You know, when you think about the postseason coming up, very intriguing. White Sox are no day at the beach. Tampa, you know, the Yankees and either Sox or Mariners. How? Who do you think – are the best fit for the Astros against if they have to play somebody in the ALCS, who do you think they match up best against? Oh, I I think Boston is a good matchup. They've hit Chris sale well in the past, but they haven't really hit uh, Nathan Evaldi all that well. I think their pitching matches up pretty good against their hitting. Uh, I know that going through Boston would be a little bit better than going through a New York Yankee type situation. Because even though we've seen everything, and I am a little bit concerned about how the road is going to play out. I think the matchup in the, in the ALDS with them against the White Sox favors the Astros. Yes, they're five and two against them throughout the course of the season. Uh, Chicago White Sox don't play well on the road. Minute Maid Park is a tough place to play in the playoffs on the road. But going through Chicago, I don't really feel like there was that real vitriol or that hate for the Astros when they went through Chicago. So it might be a, might be a little more tame. But when you get to Tampa Bay, you know, the fans in Tampa Bay are, you know, who's going to show up for that? Are they going to be as, as vicious as some of these other places that they've been, like Dodger Stadium and Yankee Stadium? I think if you found yourself in a position where you had to go through Yankee Stadium in a championship series situation, it might – that. That uh, that extra element of fandom might create a little bit of an issue. Blummer, always good to have him on. And our last one here, Lynn Casper, for years did TV for the Chicago Cubs, now doing radio for the Chicago White Sox, one of the legendary voices in our game. Here is Lynn Casper. 
Well, it, it, it's an honor to have you on the program. What, what do you think of our set right here? Not too bad, right? Well, first of all, to be on a big league field is always great. The weather here is just tremendous. Uh, we got lucky in that we uh, we came to the Bay Area in September, and uh, this is my favorite time of year for a lot of reasons. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, when you think about the Bay Area, where you can get a little chilly early in the season, but as we get later, even into October and football season, the, the weather is really good. But it's great to see you because, you know, so many times everybody's got to be by phone. I mean, it's like, what, we got Eric Nadell to come down. We haven't had a lot of broadcasters traveling, so it's good to see you, and I, and I bet it's great for you guys to get back on the road. Yeah, it's been great, Chris. We've been on the road. Uh, Darren Jackson, my broadcast partner, and I have been on the road with the White Sox since about May 12th or so. Uh, we went to, to Minneapolis and New York on our first trip. Uh, Dan Dickerson uh, with the Tigers started to travel around that time, but we were kind of the first – radio tandem to get on the road with a team. Fortunately, uh, the White Sox were one of the first teams to hit the 85% threshold in terms of vaccinated players. Team has been very supportive of us being on the road. The access is so much better uh, when you do travel with a team. But it's two parts. Being in the ballpark is really important, uh, especially calling radio because it's a three-dimensional sport, and sometimes when you're watching a monitor, you're trying to do 3D in 1D, and, it, and it's very difficult to do. I would like to tell you I'm good at it, but I don't think I am. Uh, it's hard enough to call a big league game when you're actually on site, and it just makes it doubly difficult when you're not. And it's a team that's been in first place since May 7th uh, every day, so I think there's a lot of excitement in Chicago for this group, and uh, we're having a blast. You know, there's not a lot of guys that have called – games for both teams in the same town what has that been like it's been great and actually chicago's uh, unique in that regard uh jack brickhouse uh harry carey steve stone uh and i've kind of joined that group have all called games for both uh the cubs and the white Sox. um it wouldn't happen this way everywhere and in fact i got notes from both michael k and gary cohen uh, Michael, the TV voice of the Yankees, Gary, the TV voice of the Mets. And they both gave me unsolicited the same message, and that was it would never happen in New York. What is what is going on with your city? Because if we swap <laughs> jobs, I would be assassinated three days later. There's no way the Mets fans would ever want a Yankees announcer and vice versa. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a Midwest thing. Um, the ballparks are nine miles apart. There is a rivalry between the White Sox and the Cubs. There's no question about it. But um, it's been interesting, to say the least. And, you know, I've gotten a little feedback from Cubs fans. Trader, you know, you're dead yeah. to us. That's fine. Yeah. I, I take it as a compliment that when you go somewhere else, especially to the other team in town, that, you know, emotionally it hurts a little bit. And I guess that's better than – Good riddance, right? Yeah, our, bu our, our buddy Matt Vaskersian, I, I don't know if you saw on the scoreboard, but lifelong A's fan here, and we play this the the, yeah. the 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 big three race. And when Matt was recently here for Sunday Night Baseball, it's like, yeah, some A's fans are like, wait a minute, you went to do the Angels? Right. You can't do that. Right. But we defend going, hey, a paycheck's a paycheck. It's great to have a job. Yeah, it, right. And, you know, fans, you, there are certain things in life that you just can't think outside the box and and if you're born into fandom of a team the idea of somebody working for the other team 
uh, doesn't make any sense. But as you say, it's a business. And, you know, when people say, well, how can you root for the, the White Sox so quickly? When you join a group and when you're traveling with a team, you become invested in that product and in the people. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Tony La Russa. I've had uh, a real uh, fortunate opportunity to do the manager's show every day with Tony. I've gotten to know him very well. And to be able to pick the mind of a literal Hall of Fame manager is something that uh, I've cherished. I'll tell you a quick story. There are the three oldest managers in Major League history, uh, Connie Mack, Jack McKeon, Tony La Russa. I didn't get a chance to work with Connie since uh, he last managed, I think, in 1950. But I was with the Marlins in 03 when Jack McKeon came back for the first time, uh, and I'm now with Tony. So I've had two of the three oldest managers in Major League history, and I, I find it really interesting. Trader Jack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I grew up in San Diego. So right. I remember when he was running the Padres. He I, managed the A's back in the 70s too, right? It's an, it's an absolute amazing career, and you could make a case Tony La Russa is the greatest manager of all time. You could definitely sure. – he, he's in the conversation. And just tell me from a standpoint of – I think he's 76. He's going to join us here in just a little bit. But this is kind of making him young again. Have, have you gotten that vibe? Oh, he's he's totally re-energized. Um, he wakes up early. He goes to bed late. He thinks, breathes, talks baseball when he's awake all the time. This is what he does. This is what makes him tick. And for anyone who thinks this is a one-and-done, I think he's going to be here for the next several years. Now, if the White Sox go all the way and win the World Series, you could make a case, well, you did what you were supposed to do, and maybe he, he rides off into the sunset again. But even, even if the White Sox go all the way, Chris, I think he's coming back next year and the year after that. Um, you know, he, he will be the first to tell you that it was an adjustment coming back after nine years out of the game. You know, he was upstairs. He, he talks about upstairs versus downstairs. Downstairs is where he lives and breathes. He's done it for 34 years, and I think he wants to do it for a long time, maybe until uh, he's in his 80s. How good are the White Sox? I think the White Sox are really good. They haven't yet had a fully intact roster, and you could probably make the case very few contenders actually do. They always have one or two guys they're missing. But the White Sox, from the middle of spring training when Aloy Jimenez got hurt, and then early in the season, Luis Robert got hurt. Adam Engel started the year on the injured list. At one point, their top five outfielders were all on the IL at the same time. But they continued to win and continued to score runs. And then the rotation was intact early, and that kind of carried the club. Well, now here late in the year, the position players are generally back, although Tim Anderson, their all-star shortstop, is out. But now Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito and Carlos Rodon uh, are out. I don't think there's any big concern about the first two guys because they have leg issues, whereas Rodon is dealing with shoulder fatigue, and they've been pretty careful with him all year. So I think that's the one that they're most concerned about. Having said that, I think everybody who's currently out probably could go if this were an October game and a playoff situation. So, you know, I think everybody's excited to see this group together for the first time, and it might not be until the first uh, playoff game when everybody is actually healthy. Yeah, and this American League has been crazy. It's, you know, looking up every day. I mean, Houston lost again today. A's are on a losing streak. 
Uh, Yankees can't beat the Orioles. Red Sox have been – it's like there's so much inconsistency in the American – I mean, other than the White Sox, we know you guys are going to go to the right. postseason. Right. Everybody else, it's kind of like who's – and Tampa. But other than you guys in Tampa, everybody, I mean, you don't know night to night. There's so much inconsistency. You're, you're right. And I would also say that while White Sox fans are watching the scoreboard to see what Cleveland's doing because as the magic number dwindles, you know, you clinch a division and then you look forward – in, in, in a lot of ways, what Houston is doing right now is as significant for this reason. I would say there's probably a 75-plus percent chance that the White Sox and Astros will match up in the first round. And if the White Sox win tonight, they'll have the exact same record. Well, having game five at home is really important. The White Sox got swept in a four-game series in Houston in June. They beat the Astros two out of three in July at home. White Sox have been way better at home. They're a 500 club on the road. So at the end of the day, it might not matter, but you'd rather have home field advantage in that scenario than not. So I could see if it comes down to the last couple of days. I don't think Tony would get crazy and make you know have somebody make a start who needs rest for the postseason, but they definitely would like to finish as the number two seed in the American League. And let's end on this. The way this ball club is built, Get me the lead, and I got power arms, including our buddy who was on the show yesterday. No one's been on the show more than Liam Hendricks. <laughs> Liam Hendricks literally every day would come by and put the headset on. He's the best. He's the best. We love him to death. But that's the one thing I what, what would scare me. I mean, we're just hoping to have a shot at the playoffs. But what would scare me about taking on the White Sox is that bullpen at the end of the game. Yeah, and last night you saw the template. Starter goes five, and then you hand the ball to Crochet, to Para, Kimbrell, uh, Hendricks. You didn't see Michael Kopech, who throws 100 miles an hour. He's had his issues at times, but he's a very important piece in that bullpen, as is the sinker baller lefty Aaron Bummer. So there were two other kind of A-type relievers the, the A's didn't even see last night. So you're right, the bullpen has a chance and you know how important bullpens are when you get into October. They have a chance to be maybe the best in the league. Yeah, I, we, we know because uh, that bullpen over here to my left, <laughs> it's not doing so hot right now. So uh, for the A's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if they can get into the uh, into the tournament. Hey, thank you so much for the time. Been watching you for years. So much respect, and uh, your first year is going real well. Congratulations. My pleasure. Great to be here, and uh, we'll do it again next time we come out here. Hopefully it's the playoffs. That would be great. <laughs> I'm all for it. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Well, we want to thank the HUD man and Blummer and Lynn Casper all for stopping by A's Cast Live and being on A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.